0: any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here tonight. Thank you for attending this event. It's important to recognise the land has always been and always will be under their custodianship. This seminar series gives the council a chance to bring together experts who can talk about specific sentencing related issues to all Queenslanders. My name is Cathy McLeish and I'm a journalist with the ABC. With me tonight are some of my council and secretariat colleagues. Can you, I'll get you to put up your hands uh, and thank you for all your hard work. Uh, It's a fantastic series and a great opportunity for these uh, issues and subjects to be discussed and considered further. Uh, This evening I'm your MC on this important topic of sexting. I'm also joined here tonight by a group of respected and influential experts who we'll hear from soon. I'll introduce you to them shortly. Before we start our seminar, I do need to run through a bit of housekeeping. You've probably all pinpointed the location of the toilets. Uh, If you haven't, both the men and women's restrooms are located back out through the doors and to the left. Smoking's not permitted in any part of this venue. If you do need to light up, you'll have to head downstairs and head outside. Um, And in the unlikely, unlikely event of an emergency, please leave by the nearest safe exit and follow the directions of the fire warden, also to safety outside. As a courtesy to everyone here tonight, please ensure your phone is off or switched to silent. And if you do need to step out at any time during the seminar, I ask that you do so just quietly. Uh, we have a large group of people joining us via a uh, live web stream tonight and the seminar is also being recorded for future use. Well, as we all know, times have changed. When I was young and you got together with a young boy or had a crush on them, uh, you'd exchange phone numbers, ring them at their house all the time, hoping that their mother wouldn't be the one to answer the phone and maybe meet up them, with them at the shopping centre or the local cinema. There might be a bit of, you know, heavy breathing, a bit of passion. Um, maybe a little bit more, but it might be over in a few weeks and it would all be forgotten and you'd move on with your life. Young people are still learning the business of relating to one another. Relationships can be short, sharp and stormy, even relationships between friends. Emotional self-control is not always at its best at 15. The pattern of early relationship building hasn't necessarily changed for young people of today, of course, except for the advent of the digital superhighway and the smartphone. Those of us here, including myself, who grew up in the 70s and 80s, have probably never thought about the complexities of being a teenager in the era of social media. In 2018, something you say in the heat of the moment or blurt out on Facebook can be there for months or years. It's out there for your online friends to view and stew over again and again. If, however, you have children yourself, you've probably been navigating these issues for years. Engagement in social media and in the online world doesn't just begin when a child turns 13. They've been online, albeit in a supervised way, for years. Those of us who are parents to teenage children have been negotiating the terms of screen time since they were very small. But during the years when they begin to want to uh, negotiate with their peers on their own terms, they no longer want you around for that one. Tonight, we're here to talk about sexting. So firstly, let's define what we mean by the term. Sexting actually has no legal definition, but when we attach a common meaning, We're typically talking about when a nude selfie is taken and sent to another person. And why is this a sentencing matter, I hear you ask? If the subject of the nude selfie is a young person aged under 18 years old, anyone who possesses or distributes that image, even those who are under 18 themselves, has actually committed a criminal offence. The offence of possession or distribution of child exploitation material. Anyone found guilty can be sentenced to a maximum penalty of 14 or 20 years if an anonymising service or network is used. Now, of course, while the maximum penalty is reserved for the most serious cases, a case of the offence, And a young person caught distributing or possessing an image would be extremely unlikely to attract any kind of custodial penalty for a single instance, it nevertheless will bring them to the attention of police. I want to start by giving you the perspective of one young man who came to the attention of police for just that for possessing child exploitation material. We've invited George, that's not his real name of course, uh, to speak with us about his own personal experience of being caught up in something he didn't ask for and didn't mean. For those of you, or oh, sorry, For those of you uh, here who are worried about how George came to be here today, both he and his parents agreed that his story might assist in raising awareness about what can unintentionally happen to young people and to encourage an important discussion about what we can do to address these situations. So let's hear from George. Can
1: you just start off saying what what actually happened to you?
2: Well, well, um, my friend uh, was sort of with a girl. And um, they had obviously, I don't know, exchanged photos or videos. And then, um, you know, out of the blue, he obviously sent me some sort of um, screen recording or something of her. And um, I didn't know what it was. I didn't ask him to send it to me. And um, I opened it, and um, that was that. That was the end of it. I left it at that. And then um, a few days later, the uh, girl who I was also close with at the time, um, informs me that, uh, he had been showing it around and I sent it to her and I said, I sent it to her and I said, is this the one, is this, is this it? And, um, and she said, yeah. And I sort of tried to comfort her and I said, oh, really sorry about that. And, you know, I thought it would, I thought that was it really. And then, um, quite a few months later, um, I got, my mum got a phone call and, um, said that I need to come up to the police station.
1: Did they tell you, mum and you, why you had to come to the police station?
2: Um, for distributing uh, child exploitation.
1: And So when your friend originally sent you that uh, message and you opened it mm-hmm. and then you closed it, um, did you look at it again? Did you go through and, and have a look at it a couple of times or did you send it to anyone else or just that back to the person who was actually in the video?
2: No, no, I never... I opened it up and I completely forgot about it until she told me that um, that it was being spread around, and then I sent it to her and her alone, um, just purely not to not to take the you know as a joke or anything. I sent it to her. And I was quite serious. I was like, "Is this is this what the one the one you're talking about?"
1: And did did you at any point know what what that meant by having that on your phone or having that or sending it back to her?
2: Um, No, I was really quite unaware. Um, I sort of didn't understand. I sort of knew that uh, those sorts of photos were bad in a sense that, you know, like it's almost bad for your reputation and, you know, you could really end bad for yourself. Um, uh, But um, I didn't actually know that what I was doing by sending it to her and asking her um, if, if it's her was actually against the law. I didn't. I realise. I thought I was actually doing um, her a favour but I was doing more harm. I didn't really think that telling anyone would really help and I guess it's a bit embarrassing to tell your parents or anyone about that kind of stuff as well.
1: And so then um, when you went to see the police, how, how was that process? Like who went in with you and, and what happened?
2: Um, my mum went in, in there with me and um, the police just um, asked me uh, you know questions regarding the issue um, you know they were really nice and really comforting but you know there's only so much one can do but I, obviously I still felt really nervous really scared really uneasy didn't um, know what to expect but um, yeah they you know I mean they did the best they could
1: and when you found out that it was all of this police interview was because of what happened, that your friend had sent it to you and you said that he did, you didn't ask him to. Um, how did that make you feel when you found out that you were at a police station for that?
2: I mean, at the time, obviously, I just felt, you know, I was just more overwhelmed than anything. I was sort of scared and uneasy, but sort of later, I was just kind of really annoyed um, that uh, I was in trouble for something that I really, like, I really didn't intend at all. Um, I was kind of annoyed that I was sort of in, in trouble for something really that I'm not really that involved with.
1: What would you have done differently when that boy sent you that?
2: Well, you know, as, em- as embarrassing as it would have been, I probably would have told someone. As hard as it would have been, I guess it would have been the right thing to do. And then he would have hopefully gotten in trouble before it would have been distributed further.
1: And what about parents? What do you think parents need to do to help their kids better?
2: Um, I would say just making sure that they're open to their kids, you know, open to, rather than, um, you know, sort of, if your kid tells you something about something bad that's happened on the internet, instead of going, Oh, well, why'd you do that? Or what's all this about then? You know, first of all, listening and um, then understanding uh, and just being, just being there to listen and then knowing what to do, what's the next step after that.
0: our panel of experts. Helen Helen Watkins of the Queensland Sentencing Advisory Council is a criminologist and psychologist dedicated to excellence in forensic and clinical assessment and treatment. She was a member of the Parole Board of Queensland and a member of the former Queensland Regional Parole Boards and the Mental Health Review Tribunal. Detective Senior Sergeant Wayne Steinhardt is of the Queensland Police, is a 33 year veteran of the police service. He's headed a national project responsible for developing innovative technology to enable analysis of child exploitation images and support multi-jurisdictional Victim identification efforts. He's been a specialist advisor in child protection to the National Strategy on Child Exploitation Matters and most recently has been seconded to the Crime and Corruption Commission, where he led a team of specialist investigators responsible for the identification, tactical targeting, and interdiction of online predators. Rob Pretty is a former. Queensland detective and online covert police officer. He's with the Department of Education, Cyber Safety and has been the manager of the the department's Cyber Safety and Reputation Management team for over seven years. In this role, he provides support and expert advice to school leaders, regional directors and teachers regarding online safety and reputation management issues affecting school communities. In the last five years, Rob and his team have delivered over 1,000 face-to-face presentations to more than 145,000 students, promoting the importance of safe and responsible online behaviours and a positive digital footprint. And Professor Mark Hebbel of the Griffith Criminology Institute is a member of the School of Applied Psychology and Chief Investigator with the Australian Centre of Excellence in Policing and Security. He's a Chartered Forensic Psychologist and a Registered Psychologist and his research expertise is in the area of Investigative Psychology with regards to investigation and prosecution of serious crime in particular. His previous work has included a review of factors associated with sex offending. So can I turn to you first, Helen Watkins, as a member of the Queensland Sentencing Advisory Council. Can you provide some background on this issue and why the council decided to host the event tonight? Thanks Cathy. Uh,
3: Well, in 2015, the then Queensland um, Organised Crime Commission of Inquiry handed down a number of recommendations and amongst those recommendations was one which related to um, a review of the complexity of what was referred to as the Oliver Scale. And the Oliver Scale has been adopted from um, the, the um, English and Wales Court of Appeal system where uh, quite a number of years prior there was a, a range of originally I think it was about five factors and then it's up to nine on the scale now, um, which is meant to classify images according to um, the level of depravity and that's then linked um, to sentencing and it's there are a range of issues associated with it which are um, very time consuming for the um, officers involved in reviewing each of the images because many of the images uh, are repeat images that have been seen time and time again and there are better Uh, classification systems for example one that Interpol uses um, that uh, classifies according to um, a a four scale system and it also relies upon a bank of images where uh, computer programs can automatically identify that those images have previously been classified. So the time that it takes um, officers to Uh, look at individual images and sometimes there can be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of images, Um, that time is taken away from their capacity to identify um, current victims and to then rescue those child victims. So that was seen as a particularly um, important focus of both um, that original commission and then the subsequent government. And then when the Queensland Sentencing Advisory Council was reformed in 2016, that was the very first term of reference that we were handed was to actually have a look at the um, a term of reference which included the oliver scale but also broader issues about child exploitation material. And one of the things that we discovered in our findings was that um, with the 10 year period that we looked at for offenders who um, went through uh, um, the courts or had been charged or investigated for these types of offences, there were just over 3,000 different offenders and 48% of those were actually juveniles. And that's where we identified in fact that they were people that um, weren't necessarily um, to be dealt with in the criminal justice system because like our subject here, George, they had become um, inadvertent participants in image-based abuse. and. Um, so therefore, whilst that fell outside of the scope of our, our child exploitation material um, term of reference that we delivered our recommendations on last year, we did think that this was a really significant finding that 48% um, fell into that category and therefore that's what's brought us here tonight to follow up on that this really critical issue. Yeah.
0: Um, there's, so there's a couple of, uh, you know, there are a few things that basically this tidal wave of digital technology has thrown up in what you've you've said there, and one of them is uh, just the the size of the policing task of of classifying and going through these documents. And also that it's swept up, you know, kind of a a wider range of of people in the the net, really, in the number of people that potentially could be offending and that police need to deal with.
3: That's right. And and Wayne's in a better position to be able to take over at this point, but one of the things that we did find in our research for the child exploitation material term of reference was that Queensland Police Service had um, identified a range of procedural changes that they could undertake which meant then the children weren't automatically going to be channelled through the criminal justice system um, where there was sufficient evidence that they didn't represent a risk to other people. Um, and, and Wayne, you might have something further that you want to say about that particular issue.
4: Yeah, thanks, Helen. And, and based on the good work that was undertaken by uh, the Sentencing Advisory um, Commission, uh, there was that identification that over the you know the last um, ten years or so, there has been an upsurge in young people who are embracing technology and then um, using that technology to share. Um, both legal content and what could be constituted a legal content. And I think that there's a lack of understanding um, around what is actually child exploitation material. And certainly under the Queensland-based legislation, any image which depicts nudity of a child who's under the age of 16 is child exploitation material, and that holds true whether the individual has taken the image of themselves. So. Um, young people can unwittingly commit an offence by um, generating child exploitation material. And then the issue is that they then on-send that to people who they might trust, um, boyfriends or girlfriends. Um, And by doing that, uh, not only do they have possession of um, what is regarded child exploitation material, but they've also potentially committed an offence of transmitting child exploitation material. So I think there was a real case there for um, prevention and education around these issues to get the messages out about um, what is child exploitation material and uh, and that people unwittingly find themselves in a position where they um, are, are committing offences whilst not knowing about it. So there was a, a, a policy change, and I won't talk specifically to the policy, but. What I will say, you know, there there needs to be a distinction between a person who um, might take an image which is considered inappropriate, which um, is then shared to trusted individuals. And the message I would give in that um, situation, and this holds true no matter what your age is, but certainly if you're a young person, if you're taking an image or a selfie, let's call it a selfie because that's the common vernacular, um, if you're taking an image, and you intend to share that with somebody else, um, before you hit the send button, think about what that image represents and whether you'd be comfortable with members of your family seeing that image, your parents, your aunts or uncles. Uh, How would you feel if you posted that image on your Facebook or Twitter feed? And if you had some reservations about that, my advice would be to don't send that image because once you do, you lose control of that image. And um, once you lose that control, you know, like uh, that image can end up anywhere on the internet, through a variety of people who you didn't intend it to go to. And I think that's where you change the boundaries of a um, uh, a criminal investigation is once the image has been sent to somebody else, and that person then decides to share that on to other people. Once a person has made a decision, who has received an image, they've made a decision to share that on. Um, You know, I guess you're breaching the privacy and the respect and the trust of the person who sent that image to you in the first place. And that opens up a whole variety of pathways um, as a police officer um, for how we then deal with that, manage that issue. And
0: how is, I mean, once the horse is bolted, once that image is out there, how difficult can it be to stop it? It's
4: difficult. It is difficult to stop. because. You rely on, um, once you identify a person who has shared that image, you rely on that person when you interview them being truthful as to what they did with the image, who they shared that with. Um, But it's difficult because that person, it's like a wildfire, you know. Potentially that image can go to one person who can go to two, who can go to ten, who can go to twenty. And um, so that's why I say it's, it's, it's difficult to reel that back in.
0: So, um, Rob, what are you seeing in the schools? Is this the sort of thing that often bounces up? Do schools often see it first?
5: I always see it first. It has to be alerted to the school leaders in the first place, or a teacher. And they have schools and teaching staff have mandatory reporting in regards to those kinds of behaviours. That's under the Education General Provisions Act or the Child Protection Act. There is mandatory reporting by teachers and school leaders. So when they alerted to these situations, they. um, uh, Sometimes obligated to, depending on the circumstance, notify um, via student protection notification through um, schools' networks, which goes to police, goes to child services, and is then assessed on how it's responded to. But yeah, in regards to what I'm seeing from when school leaders ring our team for advice, is the image will spread out far wider than, say, the, the relationship that it was in and was um, exchanged, and then it's gone around the school and, and then it is in the hands of the police and dealt with by law enforcement. So.
0: How likely is it that kids will speak up?
5: Yeah, not, well...
0: And how, how quickly will they get help?
5: Yeah, well, the, well what I've seen is yeah, the young people, research shows, is that the first person they'll speak to is probably go to their friends and, and seek advice. Would that be right that they go to their friend um, for that advice and... Young people being armed with that information when they go to their friend for some help is very critical in knowing as a young person how to help their friend out you know, yeah going after to the person delete it, delete it front of you. Um, did you send it to anyone else? Did you store it in the cloud um, yeah. and helping them out you know, yeah. asking if they're okay and, you know a lot of we teach the children uh, when we speak to them you know go to a trusted teacher that they know. Here's his Kids Helpline Headspace, here's the Office of the e Safety Commissioner that they can report to, to help them get that image down.
0: And what are you hearing back from kids when you're out in the schools, you know, telling them all of this? What kinds of feedback
5: do you get? Sometimes they'll come up to us afterwards and say, oh, my friend sent this image. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we don't have to for a friend. Now. So we give them advice and, yeah, we've, we teach them about um, image sharing and what... Uh, Wayne said about the audience sometimes is far larger, and the students are making what I say is poor choices. You know, in the heat of the moment, they're exchanging these photographs, and it's a choice they're making, um, not thinking about where that image may end up.
0: Um, yeah, Mark, how does it how how does this happen? Why isn't it sort of natural for kids to think, well, it's, maybe it's not a good idea to send a nude photo of myself?
6: Well, I think children are can often be impulsive and often it seems like a good idea at that that particular moment. Uh, It may be in the context of a relationship where they're they're sharing images with one another and don't expect it to go beyond uh, the the two people that are sharing images with with each other. Um, I think children become more aware of the dangers of of sharing images, particularly as they get older into the the 17, 18. that they do seem to be more aware than they used to be, but uh, still, you know, part of being young is, is doing silly things, isn't it? That's why you are spending so much time educating and teaching at that point.
0: Given there's such a, um, uh, you know, such a, a, a wide sort of spectrum of severity mm-hmm. and uh, the extreme... Sort of ramifications of, of uh, or Ill- illegality, extent of the Ill- illegality of the image, um, or the act of sending it. How do you, how, how do you re- assess that risk? You know, whether it's um, uh, it's just been impulsive and and a kid who hasn't realised that you shouldn't have sent that image on, or it's uh, you know is done it is, is basically innocent and something more severe.
6: Well, that's a that's a real challenge and. We always look for kind of easy ways of categorising people by saying if it's in this kind of image then you're this bad, or if you do it in this way then that's um, how risky you are in the future. But you have to really look at the circumstances as a whole. You know, For example, with George, if that is an accurate account there's nothing beyond that which has happened, then you'd say he's made a mistake, he understands the consequences for the victim and he's probably unlikely to do it again however if you go and dig deeper into his background and find that this is one of multiple uh, cases where he's done something similar uh, or where he's been quite coercive in trying to get images you know for example or making threats blackmail or uh, preying on people who are vulnerable then you'd have a very different opinion of, of, of that person and, and the risk that he might pose
0: and is that the sort of um you know is that the kind of information that for informing policy police and and um, legislation is that the kind of um, thing you know the police need to be equipped with I guess that sort of
6: information well, for police face a real challenge is that they've got limited resources and lots of reports of sex crimes, so they don't have the resources to exhaustively investigate every allegation and uh, yeah, it's it's a real challenge for them you know, obviously they have systems that tell them if, if someone's got a, a history of offending and a history of allegations against them and they can use that to decide how much how much resources they're going to put into uh, that investigation.
0: Do we have a sense of, um, of how uh, dangerous this is? What percentage is, you know, dangerous and what percentage is...?
6: Well, it's, it's, it's really tricky. As you can imagine, talking to teenagers about sex is is quite a challenge in itself. And, you know, for example, I've got a 15-year-old boy who said, he would rather die than come and listen to me talk to me <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's <a> serious consequence. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and, and so kind of actually getting accurate information from people is, is a real challenge, you know, for ethically. You know, do, do many of us want psychologists to talk to, to our children about their sexual desires and what they might be doing online? Most of us would be quite reluctant. Uh, when people answer surveys, we're not quite sure how accurate they're answering. You know. Um, you know, that they, they may portray themselves in a more positive light. When we look at broadly speaking, uh, we get up to about 30% of um, people in the round, about 17 to 18 years of old, who are sharing general erotic images. But of course, that means most of it is the more of the, you know, the kind of the pouty and a little bit of cleavage kind of kind of thing. And we not, we don't have really good data on on what's happening particularly the extreme ends of things
0: um, Helen what did the review turn up in terms of you know male female who's, who's involved what
3: I think that overwhelmingly they were if I remember correctly it was mostly um, girls providing images and boys distributing but um, In many of the cases and including the case of George, a bit of additional backstory for George was that the um, male who had originally distributed the image had coerced the image out of the girl and there's a lot of reports of especially from from um, young girls and sometimes boys too where they're feeling um, to fit in um, that, that they are bullied or ridiculed or, or um, exiled from a friend group if they don't um, share the image. And that then crosses that boundary that, that, that Wayne was talking about in terms of what the police would consider then to be more serious behaviour and potentially that repetitive behaviour, predatory type behaviour where you're seeing this level of coercion and deliberate targeting of offenders. But I think, so for the most part, it's probably girls sharing the original image, um, but boys then sharing it on from there. And you're getting more and more where there's a level of um, other types of aggregation, ag- aggravation, such as uh, intoxication with drugs and or alcohol, where um, you know the images aren't being taken by the original female victim, they're being taken by male offenders who have intoxicated, you know, deprived the person of the capacity to know what's going on and and then they're sharing that. And they're very serious issues that obviously do require the full gamut of criminal justice um, investigations and and sentencing options. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: Wayne, how prevalent is that? Are we seeing rising sort of numbers in that? What are police dealing with?
4: Uh, Look, it's, it's it's always been there. It's a problem, as Mark said. It's, uh, it, it has resourcing implications. Um, however, what I can say is we take every matter seriously. Um, and we will investigate complaints that are made to us in relation to this. Um, and specifically, we'll focus effort and resources into those ones where there is predatory behavior, where there's coercion. Um, where the image has been on shared by uh, a person who was initially subject of that conversation and then decides to share it to other people. Um, aware someone has, you know, just through a momentary lapse of reason or made an error of judgment, um, as Rob discussed, um, I think we need to be. Uh, show consideration about that because once that image then gets shared out beyond that, beyond that trusted relationship, there is serious ramifications for that person who has generated the image in the first place Yeah. Um, but uh, where the image has been um, uh, shared without the consent of the person who has generated that image in the first place, I think it's serious and, uh, and we will do we'll, uh, certainly as an investigator I will do what I can to make sure that those matters are appropriately investigated and the appropriate course of action is taken. Um, and, and that will be on a, uh, a, a scale based on the level of the offending. And there's a number of uh, pathways that we can take to address that.
0: The, um, um, can we talk about some of the pathways or is that? Yeah.
4: Um, so, so, you know, it depends on the, 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 the level of offending. It depends on a person's previous Um, actions, whether they've been um, uh, dealt with previously through the system. Um, And and obviously there's there's the opportunity through um, uh, the Youth Justice Act to um, uh, caution people who may not have been aware of what they were actually doing and the implications of that. There's conferencing um, for serious offenders who um, are showing a pattern of uh, behaviour there's obviously offenses under the um, Queensland Criminal Code um, but that's, a, that's an escalating scale depending on the circumstances I, I won't talk about George's case specifically I have no knowledge about that but certainly um, uh, speaking to young people uh, like George I would as an investigator like to know um, uh, what happened with that material when he first um, got that you know and whether that was shared with anybody else. And I would really like to get the message out there that um, if you are an innocent party and that you've received something that's maybe considered, uh, child exploitation material, inappropriate, my advice is just to delete off your phone straight away. Don't hold it, don't hang on to it. Um, and I think that message would be received when people, young people start to understand uh, the implications of their actions. Which is why I applaud forums like this to get that message out. Yeah. That uh, potentially you are committing an offence by having possession of that material. So if you inadvertently get that, just delete it. And then, exactly like George said, then report it to a responsible person.
0: Yeah, Mark, I can see you nodding. This is... How important is this research? How important is it that we understand these kinds of um, of numbers and who's involved and how many... How much... To what degree it's, uh, you know, really extreme and, and illegal, you know, behaviour and to what extent it's it's just a learning curve almost.
6: Well, I think we're, I mean, it's, it's constantly changing and we're, we're still learning. We don't have good data on so many different parts of, of this, you know, for instance, we don't know what the long-term consequences for victims are, you know, for instance, we've got anecdotal reports that people who are, have these images distributed, in the future become very anxious, may become depressed because they don't know who's seen them. You know, they would be walking down you know, Queen Street outside here and they're unaware of what people who are coming towards them have actually seen these images. And that creates a, you know, a, a, a real kind of um, worry for them you know, and that will, may stay with them for a, a long time. And it seems to be particularly when they are older and therefore, you know, their adult and their faces won't, won't change. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't even got good data on that. This is purely anecdotal information.
0: Yeah. Um, are, um, Rob, what have you? What are you seeing in the schools? Are kids, you know, are they getting it or is it, is it a slow to uptake? Or are we just starting fresh with each kid that's coming through?
5: Well, from my experience from the lecture, like, I think the kids know the laws now. They know it's an offence to have it on their phones. Um, some, as Wayne um, was saying, they'll keep it on their phone and just forget about it. And then when you re- go speaks and speak to them, they remind them about you know. And, and in particular, speaking about um, image sharing, you, know, you particularly see the girls uh, paying attention and the boys uh, not so, And they're, they're realising, maybe I've sent one of these images. Mm-hmm. And the real message is, you know, we tell them the legal consequences and the social consequences. and and how to deal with it if they have made one of these choices and how to respond and take positive action and, you know, either get help or get the image removed.
0: Right. Um, Helen, the um, review also looked at the impact on um, investigators as well. Dealing with the massive number of um, images coming through, what was the, you know, what did it find?
3: I think that overwhelmingly whilst um, there was a high level of resilience and that's a testament to both the officers involved and also the services involved in terms of the Queensland Police Service and the Crime and Corruption Commission Uh, but and then they have very robust internal processes for taking care of their staff welfare Um, but undoubtedly um, the same message coming through all the time was this level of frustration of feeling like there was never enough that that officers felt that they could do that the task um was increasing that and i think that that's it definitely that the data showed that as the use of the internet as availability of internet based devices and connectivity improves and things now like the cloud and that then that, we're just talking about the clear net here we're not even delving into the dark net which is a whole nother set of horrors but that that there's been this digital explosion that that resourcing probably hasn't kept up with and that was one of the significant issues it Is is there are things that can be done to um, to, to deal with much of this, but they need to be appropriately resourced in order for them to be effective. And I think that that's something that we're all still working towards. Mm. Yeah.
0: Wayne, this is really an area for you as well, isn't it? In uh, technology and innovation in technology to deal with some of this. What are some of the things that, that have been um, directed towards this?
4: Well, I, my personal experience in, uh, in this space is there's been, A sharp decrease in the amount of digital content, which is child exploitation material, that is being seized in investigations compared to, uh, say, 10 or 12 years ago. I think that's largely driven by high-speed internets. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so people are able to access material a lot quicker. They
0: don't have to hold on to
4: it. There, There was a time 10 years ago when you would try to download a, a five megabyte file and it will take you half a day, you. you know. And, and, and of the phone will cut it half yeah. <laughs> And of course, once you've got that, you're not going to get rid of it because it takes so long to get the content, but the content is so quick now with um, NBN and high speed networks. So I, I don't see uh, as much as what we're used to with people hoarding. Um, there's also been um, certainly progression in the way that we analyse the content that we sees. Um, by matching and removing content that is already known about or previously seen, um, which then generates a much smaller subset of material that needs to be reviewed by investigators. So that certainly increased the processes because if you can minimise the amount of content that you need to review, because stuff that's already known about has been removed, it then increases your your opportunities to identify a uh, real contact offender, which is what our ultimate goal is. Mm -hmm. And that's to identify uh, victims uh, of abuse and then put in place intervention strategies to rescue and protect those uh, children. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're working towards that. And technology is certainly providing um, avenues for us to address that.
0: Mm -hmm. It's growing at an enormous pace as Mm -hmm. well, isn't it? Yes, it
4: is, yes.
3: Kathy, there was another issue that had come up in our um, research and that was the progression from um, Stored images, um, whether they be single images or video, to live streaming, and that's becoming more of a problem. And um, and I think that segues into the issue we're talking about tonight, more so from the type of apps that um, that appeal to uh, our, our target um, group of teenagers, like Snapchat. They believe that if they use something like that that it's there and it's taken, but they're not considering that someone could be actually capturing that image and then keeping it. So and and Rob, you might have some other stories about. Well, there was a
5: story in the newspapers okay. where the group of hackers breached Snapchat's That's right um, security yeah. and stole hundreds of thousands of photographs and yeah. then, then link them publicly. Yeah. So a term condition of Snapchat is they keep obviously a copy of your your photographs going true. through their service. Yeah. So you're relying on their security.
3: Yeah. So yeah. these kind of, you know, we all know and we were teenagers once too if anyone can believe it, um, <laughs> that we all took risks at that time and that's just part mm. of being a teenager. Um, and so the risk taking, there's some teen belief around digital um, use now that they can control the risk by using certain apps and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah.
0: yeah. So. Um, Rob, what are the schools doing? What sort of technology has come up for education department and for the schools in, in kind of capturing some of this and putting a put a stop to it?
5: In regards to like filtering? Um, yeah,
0: and picking you know sort of picking up activity like that around the school okay. and
5: well, all Queensland state schools have a filtering system um, and it's a very good, one. Um, and that blocks out all the social media use you know through really the department's network. Of course, the mobile phones you know, have 3G and 4G connectivity, so having school systems block that content is uh, a difficult task. So that relies on school policies in regards to uh, mobile phone use, um, and that's a school-by-school approach in regards to that. So that content you know, can't be controlled by schools. It's, uh, it's reported, and they break school rules, then it's based on the responsible behaviours for students, and school principals, are prin- ah, so school principals are empowered in regards to consequences they have for um, students breaching those school rules.
0: What um, are the rules around um, for smartphones and phones in school sort of it, it being made kind of in line with this issue or?
3: Yeah, look, each school
5: um, creates that responsible behaviour plan in conjunction with the community right. and that's with the parents and the students and they make those rules in regards to phone use, um, they have templates in regards to appropriate use of social media where schools are provided that and they can amend those um, appendixes to their responsive behaviour plan or code of school behaviour mm. um, they're provided to schools and the schools sit down with their community and develop those um, standards for their community.
0: And if an issue is raised, how quickly uh, can there be a response? Can the photo be taken down? Is there yeah, something that well, can be done?
5: that's why team was created to, to help principals have a bit of a hand, you know, um, they aren't detective principals. <laughs> um, sometimes they so really what like.
0: happens for a principal when they're, you know, sort of, what do they have to a do? Lot the,
5: a lot of principals, are, you know, they do not know Snapchat, they don't know Musical.ly, they don't know the technologies that the kids are using. Um, they've got a great source of knowledge, the kids know it, that's for sure. Um, and they reach out to our team for some advice in regards to um, Strategy to dealing with the images, and you know, throughout the seven years I've been in um, education, we've built up some pretty uh, strong relationships with the social media companies, and have the ability to um, contact them for the really severe content, uh, whether it's bullying or whether it's um, uh, inappropriate images, and have that content removed through those relationships. So they're pretty strong. Uh, also, they are probably referred to the police as well in regards to the um, sexting-related images. So our ability to get content out on the major platforms is quite good.
0: So can you give us an example of <laughs> what, what might happen?
5: Examples? Ah, <laughs> OK. Um, well, as current as today, that's pretty current. Yeah. <laughs> um, helping out of school um, um, with primary schools, Year 6 students. who so had uh, Musical.ly. Yeah. Look, the, the age of consent for Musical.ly is, for all these major platforms, 13. So parents are obviously allowing their students or their children to have these apps prior to that age of consent to agree to it. And they've obviously had yeah. a lied about their age, they probably said they're fifty five. Yeah. Um uh, while Straight I was going there. Um, yeah. An example for what and
0: she was on musically I think. Said, for, and oh, she
5: example, on yeah musically yeah, the think music this, young yeah, lady. this young young girl was on musically and had a large number of contacts on her musically account. It was obviously seeking some more attention um, maybe she was going through a difficult patch in her life. I'm looking for that more attention.
0: This is going to show my ignorance and yeah. the distance between me and being 13, but what is what's... Musical, Yeah, <laughs> yeah what is that? It's an app where
5: they, um, people create their profile and they mime to, to popular songs. Oh, right. So you can go and mime to Justin Bieber if you want.
3: <laughs> yeah. <No> very I take it.
5: It's very popular in primary schools. Um, young people are very embarrassed once they hit high school that they've actually even had it <laughs> um, yeah and they're more into Instagram s- Snapchat and then later on they'll hit Facebook right but this young girl made some poor choices on and not un- unwittingly made these choices probably not knowing the ramifications where the images were going with her you know large number of contacts mm. um once and this young person was so scared that her, pa- her parents seeing what was on her phone refused to give the codes to the Phone and would not um, provide the account name for the, music, the musical account. But we found it out, and within four minutes, we had that account down.
0: Wow. So it can be pretty
5: effective. I'm not, look, there's a lot of content that cannot be removed off the internet. I'm right. just saying some of the large social media platforms have a really good responsibility and um, are very proactive now on their reporting um, systems.
0: Wayne, how... how- Sort of, to what extent do, do we just see things get out of control where it can't be broadband? Right?
4: Yeah, it, it just snowballs. I'm like, even something that might get um, a posted yeah. on, on a, a, a site such as that, be it Facebook or Musically or whatever, you know, like um, uh, Helen spoke about people who do screen grabs of that material. So even though um, you can contact the vendor and get this material taken down. Mm-hmm. You don't know whether someone's actually taken a screen grab of that particular image or that video and then shares that on somewhere else.
5: Okay. Yeah, I agree. And and Snapchat, there's some third-party apps that take screenshots mm. without notifying the original sender that screenshots be taken. Yeah. yeah things yeah. like SnapHack, SnapSave, yeah. Snap
4: hacks, snap save. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't know. I'm like, you don't know as an individual or as you don't know as a young person the extent to which that uh, material's been shared. Mm. Um, and, and then that just elevates the, the concern and the regret and the emotions that are attached to that for that particular individual. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's why I say my, my advice is mm. to always consider what it is you're intending to share because you have no control once you let it out of your possession.
0: Mm. Um, Helen... It goes for adults too. Yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
4: Not just children.
0: Um, you know, this is such a changing space, such mm-hmm. a dynamic, moving, fast-moving space. How do we tackle this in terms of legislation and policy and, you know, how much work needs to be done? And can it hope to keep up?
3: Well, I think that there have been a lot of inroads with um, social media companies over recent years in, uh, from both a state-based and a national perspective in, in um, improving the capacity for social media um organizations to be responsible for cooperating with authorities in identifying these this material and assisting to take it down so that's been one of the probably most significant changes it's still developing but that's coming on having an e-safe Commissioner has been another great thing and one of the things that we have identified in in our research on the child exploitation material is that there are a lot of great organisations out there doing work in this area but not necessarily great coordination and in Queensland here one of our recommendations was that we have um, an eSafeQ Commissioner of our own so that we can start harnessing and coordinating because education's the most significant factor for both children and their parents is being aware because consistently that's what we find is that children that are creating and sending these images aren't necessarily considering the, the consequences are that there are potentially a lot of very motivated predators out there who will use many means um, to, to get these images and use them for other purposes. Um, so, I think overwhelmingly, and, and everyone else, I think working with teenagers would see this that, that initially, at least, this level of unawareness that what they're doing is an offence, mm. that this consideration. Um, that if they you know the age of consent for sex is 16 then they should be able to send um, you know um, erotic images of themselves as well and not understanding why it's against the law um, so there's that level of unawareness and I guess there's that you know wanting to keep up with other people we, we spoke earlier before the session about um, that when I grew up, showing that level of skin was considered to be quite inappropriate whereas now you know it's it's actually there's a level of desensitization I guess that's occurred um so that showing bare breasts is not such an issue as it nowadays as it once was previously so um and then I guess when you if you really look at some of the the worst cases that that Wayne you would definitely have seen and we saw through the child exploitation material research was the children that are repeatedly exposed to these things become desensitised as well and so they engage in these activities you know on almost an automatic level where they're not necessarily considering about what's going to happen to them when they apply for a job in 15 years and this image is everywhere and it prevents them from pursuing their career or their relationships and those sorts of things so, yeah.
0: yeah and yeah hang over them is a huge worry
6: yeah. Well, I we would like to add to that whereas some people might be naive there are certainly some very aggressive young people yeah. as well who are you know very concerning in their in their sexual behavior large number of our sex offenders actually are under the age of 18, and, yeah. and from those ones who have made silly mistakes, there are also some ones who are you know, are very concerned.
0: And is there, I mean, is there a is there a culture sort of a is, it, is is there a risk of a growing culture of this kind of ability to coerce young girls to post photos, or you know, is that are you, are we seeing anything there? Do we have data that indicates? I
6: don't think we have. Of data, but we we do see a real, a real range of ways in which people try and get images you know, from the go on, go on, mm. or you know, come on, I won't share it, or everyone else does it. Send me the picture, you know, right through to I'm going to say this if you don't send me these images, mm. um, and you know it's it's very varied, and I, I think you, know, I guess this goes straight to to censorship, isn't it? I don't think it's a real Alternative to really finding out what's happened and making a decision on the whole circumstances rather than just looking at the bare bones. Mm. Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, Rob, are you... Um, you're all nodding yeah. in furious agreement. I think we've all
5: had experiences like that. And I've had experiences helping out principals where images have been held against uh, young girls. Uh, if you don't send me more, I'm going to send these to your friends um, or your family. And that's when it needs a police response.
4: That's clearly, clearly inappropriate yeah. right. So, yeah. um, you know, we would treat that with um, all the seriousness that it deserves. Uh, and we see the full spectrum. Um, mm. And, um, yeah, I, that is something that we just won't tolerate. That's a red mm. flag. Yeah. It's yeah. most I'm definitely. Taking
0: it. Yeah. Um, so what about um, uh, sort of the need for, this is really, you know, it's a, it's a global framework isn't it so how important is it that this is um you know we talked about helen talked about the the need to have a e an <laughs> commissioner and and that sort of work how important is it that there is a, a national and international response really and it's like uh, it's,
4: it's a community problem right and um and, and no one agency is going to solve this issue and and there is no one that i know there's no agency i know um in the world that tries to do child protection work in isolation. It's about strong, committed relationships between agencies and between the people who are sitting in this forum and, and between um, members of the community to work together. Um, and we talk about, you know, the education. We talk about the prevention. It's all about sharing a message. I take every opportunity I can to talk to both parents and young people about the risks associated. Um, you know, and, and if someone chooses to do something, but they've done that because they've been informed, then so be it. Mm. Uh, my concern is there is a lot of people who just make really rash, um, ill-considered decisions in the heat of the moment, and they don't understand the ramifications of that. So. You know, I, I think it's really important that we have strong, committed networks to work together to come up with solutions. And, um, and certainly, I don't have the solution to all these problems. Mm. Um, and, in fact, I, I work within a legal framework uh, at the reactive end. Mm. But I'm also committed to proactive approaches and mm. strategies.
0: Mm. Rob, are we seeing the penny slowly drop amongst school kids
5: or is it, you know, is it new all the time? Uh, with- Incidents popping up to an, into our team. School is, um, you know, I, see, I don't see them all because um, apart from our team, there's eight student protection officers which help out each region uh, schools in Queensland. So a lot of the incidents in regards to child protection, uh, they are notified, and so I don't hear all of the, the jobs that are happening. But the ones I do hear, um, you know, younger and younger in regards to jumping on these platforms and making, sending inappropriate pictures at a younger age, which is quite um, alarming to, to, to me and maybe to you guys as well mm. um, that they're jumping on musically in grade five and six and, and mm. connecting with people they have no idea who they are. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and they're
4: obviously receiving messages from people. Yeah. That, that's OK. Yeah. That's, um,
0: yeah.
4: And that could, be, that could be their friends who are encouraging them because their friends are doing it. Or it could be the other end of the spectrum where they're being coerced to do it.
0: Mark and Helen, this is your sort of area of expertise—the psychology and, and, um, you know, the the trend. Do we, uh, could we potentially see a change to this desensitisation? Or is there is there study in where it's headed? Well, I
6: think this way. you go. I think um, older teens are becoming aware of of the consequences, and and you're being more careful. I I think. there is, I, th- I think, a need for making it, this to be more socially unacceptable, particularly amongst boys. Yeah. You know, to be seen as something which is really the wrong thing to do. And uh, I think that's one way of kind of trying to reduce this.
3: Mm. I also see that, that you know, there's a big, been a big drive towards um, exploring how we can combat bullying. And this is kind of one of those related areas in that the, the level of coercion um, does cross that line and becomes bullying. So there could be the capacity to join this up with other mm. other initiatives where there's a greater level of awareness about the issue of consent and what constitutes consent, because that's really poorly understood, not just by adolescents, but by many adults as well. So being informed and for parents um, and caregivers to be recognising and attending to their responsibility with this rather than uh, Rob and I have done a number of, of school based cyber safety forums and over and again we hear terrified parents who are overwhelmed by the digital world and it's time for them to step up and it become educated and there's a lot of ways that they can do that reliably is that they should not allow their children to engage in platforms that they have no awareness of, because it, I guess that 's kind of just like letting your child out in the middle of nowhere and saying "Fend for yourself mm. um, so I guess that personal responsibility is an issue, um, collaborative efforts um, with other initiatives to be able to say that um, about about boundaries and space and I think that there's been a lot of success with certain forums using um, really good role models and I think that I'm hoping to see um, with some of the initiatives that are underway at the moment in other areas that they start using role models to say this is not okay because that seems to be something that does have gravitas with, with teenagers is that they want to be like someone else that they see as being a noted individual, and if that person's sending a message saying this is not okay to ask for this, it's not okay to give this, mm. um, then hopefully you know, that will make a big dent in um, the, the victims and perpetrators of sexting image-based abuse exchange um, to recognise that it's not socially acceptable yeah. Yeah. and it's not going to be tolerated.
0: Is there, um, you know, is there a movement towards that? Are we seeing, you know, some sort of education in that uh, in that arena, Rob? Oh,
5: uh, education. They've um, taught respectful relationships and it's built into the curriculum from, a, from grades two right up to grade 12. So those messages in regards to, you know, being respectful um, are, are built in and have been brought in compulsory for, quite some, for a couple of years now. So those messages are there um, and there's also the Daniel Morecambe curriculum, which has ele- elements of cyber safety, which is not compulsory, but is encouraged for schools to do it. And then each school has a, a, an approach on its, on its own. Um, in HPE um, context, they'll either bring in their own cyber safety that they develop through um, at the beginning of the year. They plan out what sessions they're going to have in regards to these issues. And one may be bringing our team in. Maybe bringing a certified pro- provider from the E-Safety Commission. Um, having sessions with students and making them aware of these issues.
7: Mm.
0: To what degree do you think parents are, you know, sort of at a loss? Do they not understand yeah, where the they are? Parents are supplying
5: be? their children, younger and younger, with smart devices, which gives them the ability to connect with anyone in the world. You know, and they're downloading apps which you know the parents have no idea that they're on their phones. Um yeah, and, and you know, they're giving these phones and, and then the child's saying, Well this is my phone, this is my privacy. Um, and parents aren't being parents. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's actually your phone, you have the right to that phone and grabbing the phone and having some spot checks on it.
0: So is that a cultural shift as well? Do you think that we need to achieve, that parents understand that this is the same as, you know, saying, I, I don't want you to go Absolutely. and play with so-and-so because we don't know them all? I think we'd all have that,
5: you know, um, same understanding. We it let your child go down to Westfield, Chermside and start flicking at your selfies. You know, that's mm. the same idea as going on social media and having a public account, and putting yourself in a bikini mm. out there and not knowing the risks that they may be putting themselves into.
0: Yeah. Wayne, are you seeing that? That children, you know, parents need to understand more as well that their power in this?
4: Y- yeah. yeah uh, look, I do. But, but I don't... I don't want to apportion all the blame to the parents, it, it, it's, it is a tough environment because young people, they're going to school with other young people, their friends have the latest smartphones, You know they want the latest smartphones, they put pressure on their parents to get the latest smartphones and the parents succumb to that pressure because that's what you do when you have kids and you love them. So. Um, I, I think there just needs to be awareness around what it is that you're providing your child access to. And um, and there would be a lot of parents that don't know the applications that are out there that, we, that you know, Rob's talking about. Mm. Um, because unless you're using it or you're involved in those networks, you're not aware of what it is and you're not aware of the implications of your children having access um, to those things. I, I, I think the obligation is on um, parents to be responsible, to tease themselves up, as mm-hmm. Helen said, you know, to be aware of what is out there and not just blindly hand a phone over and, um, and just think that your child's going to be appropriate with it. Mm-hmm. Because there's very real risks out there. And mm-hmm. it's communication between parents and children. Mm-hmm. And it's about opening up those channels of communication yeah. and being able to have those conversations with them where, number one, your child doesn't feel threatened. And they they feel that they can come to you when there's something inappropriate that might come in on that phone. And they can share that with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that only comes when you have those open lines of communication. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's a two-way street. I just don't want to point the finger at them. <laughs> yeah, they're struggling parents. with the same sorts yeah. of
6: things, yeah. Can, can I ask Wayne a question? Yes. Um, with all this software you can, you can install on devices, do you think kind of, that's something useful for parents? They can monitor what's going on? Uh, yeah,
4: you know? I, I, th- I think it's useful. Look, it, if, if I had kids, yeah. th- my kids would get a Nokia 3310. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a dumb phone. <fun. laughs> <laughs> so they can take and receive calls. That would be perfect. <laughs> uh, um, I think that software is really helpful. Um but again you're gonna get into battles where your child's not gonna be able to access the latest applications that their friends can. And but mum, my friends are all over that. They've got accounts there, I want to have an account there too, you know. Um so it's something that you need to monitor all the time. And you when when your child comes to you and says, Here's this new platform that my friends are on, mm-hmm. then my advice would be to have a look at the platform, generate an account yourself. Um, uh, even under a fictitious name. So you can navigate that and see what it is and what it represents. Yeah. And then, uh, once you're comfortable with it, then provide access through that software yeah. that's on the phone. Yeah,
0: And Rob, you'd suggest filtering as well? Yeah, well,
5: students have filters at schools but um, filter, then have rules there, um, and parents should have rules at home. And, you know, I'm a big believer in ha- I'm sitting down with your child and setting out those rules and making an agreement at home, much like they have at schools. And you know, have some real consequences. Not, not go to the harshest one and say, I'm going to rip your phone off you for the next 12 months. Mm. Right? That's going to be, you, you, you're acing your, your pack. But having consequences for if they break your, your agreed rules. Um, so it's almost like a you know, ICT user agreement for the home. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think that's a, a good one. Um, and you know, a high likelihood of a young person going through school, they may experience a tough time online. And, Probably the most important thing that George brought up in his video, in that video um, was that having that trust to go to the parent, yeah. or or if they're not having that trust with the parent, have, knowing where to go to get some help, yeah, not keeping it bottled to themselves, because mm-hmm. we've we seen all the tragic circumstances that have happened in media recently where children have kept um, yeah. that information to themselves and haven't reached out for that
6: help. I think you can have that conversation early with your children, yeah. so they. they they know before there's a problem that they can, they can talk to you about it. So
0: start early.
6: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. and one way of, of... Because children don't like the intensity of talking about these kind of things. And If, if you have a car, one way of, of having these conversations is whilst you're driving, because you're not staring at each other, it's much easier to, to have those conversations. And they can't get away. <laughs> <laughs> they can't get away. i get learned. <laughs> Katie, the, um, the, the gaming
5: platforms we haven't probably mentioned they? they're yeah. exactly the same as the... Um, Social media apps. Um, yeah, right. There's some, you know... Minecraft,
3: which many yeah. young boys especially, they love Minecraft. Yeah. And most parents think, oh, it's just this great game that, where they can meet friends, but yeah. they don't necessarily recognise that there as well as other age mates, there are lots of predators mm-hmm. that know that young boys like those platforms. So they set up profiles pretending to be young boys, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's the reality. Hmm. No. No. But how,
5: what, what an opportunity for parents like, your, yeah. your child's playing these games, you may be thinking oh, it's just for them. Yeah. What a time it is for you to sit with them yeah. and maybe engage with them. Exactly. And build that trust up. Yeah. And the rapport up with them while you're playing, say, Fortnite. That's right. Uh, learning what they're doing. Yeah. Jumping out of a box. Exactly. Bus. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. getting an understanding as well. Um, Helen, there were 16 recommendations. Yep. Um, were there any other key ones that you felt really stood out?
3: I think that in relation to this particular um, topic tonight, we've probably covered um, the significant ones. I mean, we did recommend that the older scale be changed. That was a critical factor um, and that relates more um, to, to both the streamlining internationally and keeping us in line because this is a global issue it's not just a Queensland based issue or an Australia based issue Um, so uh, that that was uh, the critical nexus of our recommendations but then the other recommendations um, around the um, the QE safe commissioner that was that was very critical to being able to harness locally all of these wonderful resources that we see and being able to inform people because it's one thing for us to have an expectation that children and their parents will be responsible but then it's another thing to provide them with the resources that can assist them in that. Um, And and I think um, the other major recommendation that we um, have covered um, also was around the fact that we recognised that for any great initiative to be effective, it has to be appropriately resourced. So, you know, I think, Wayne, you definitely would
7: mm-hmm.
3: would know about that. True, true. Yeah, and especially as we, it's an expanding phenomenon. So we have to, we don't want to be, you know, you, Wayne, you talked about yourself being reactive. That's not how we want to operate. We don't want to be chasing after this. We want to get right out there in front of it and, and you know, have a capacity to, for prevention. Um, whilst we are a sentencing advisory council and we look at issues of sentencing, we also can't ignore our our responsibility when we see these these very very significant issues like you know 48% of offenders being people in this age group that mm. are affected um, by this and, and significantly affected in many cases, mm.
0: yeah. and potentially a number that. That could be turned around you know. Exa-
3: I think out of that there would, and won't correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that the vast majority of those offenders would be like George um, who became involved inadvertently, didn't didn't recognise it was an offence, didn't intentionally set out to exploit anyone um, um, and, but then you also have to consider that there will be some in there who, who will be um, exploiting for their own means or exploiting other people um, potentially to sell the images on to others and those sorts of mm. things. So, yeah.
0: Can I just, um, as we fin- sort of finish up this part, and then we'll go to a and a but just from each of you, a, a key sort of um, thing that you'd like to see happen in the area, what do you think would make a big change? Uh,
5: yeah. Uh, for me, parents. Um, not putting everything on parents, but. Um, parents taking an active involvement with, um, with their child at home, with the devices, um, if not, they don't understand something, sit with them. They know these apps inside out, back to front. Um, and they're like little intel networks at school, they'll talk to each, other, each other's friends and they'll try and deceive you as a parent to get around your rules. But you know, that parent education for me is um, a big
4: piece.
0: So more empowered, make themselves yeah. more empowered. and. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah, fostering those strong networks uh, in the child protection space and and, um, following on what um, Helen said about the e-safety commission of Queensland, you know, one centralised area that can coordinate the tasks of um, somewhat disparate um, agencies Mm -hmm. come together and work together to project um, and get the messages out. Yeah, 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 I think
3: that pretty much says, you know, making awareness, you know, people, people can do something about it if they're aware of it and, it's, and overwhelmingly um, the adolescents involved aren't aware that it's an issue until they're informed that it is. Being able to give them a set of strategies for how they can deal with it if it happens and how to prevent it from happening um, and then also of course you know, impressing upon parents whilst we, we're not wanting to blame them, all, but we do want them to take responsibility that if they're handing this, their child a device that has such a capacity to, to cause them potential harm, then there's a, a great level of responsibility that comes and, and, and they are the key to being able to instill in that child an awareness about you know the responsible measures that they need to undertake.
6: Yeah. Um, I, I've, I, what I'd like to see is boys uh, making it less acceptable to distribute these images amongst themselves, and I think they need to step up. And you know, some of those young men, as they are, need to really stand up for um, people who, who might be, be victims of this.
0: Fantastic. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll turn now to questions from the floor. Um, just put your hand up and tell us who you are and where you're from. Do we have anybody that um, would like to ask something of this panel, expert panel? Yeah. Thanks, Anne. <laughs> I'll wait for the microphone. We're just moving the microphone. No. <laughs>
8: as the director of the secretariat that supports the Sentencing Advisory Council. But I'm just sitting here as a completely unwitting parent (laughs) as well, and just listening to some of it, this is more of a reflection than anything else, but listening to your um, comments about responsibility of parents and reflecting on my own children who are still in primary school but very much active Mm. online um, on those gaming Platforms like Minecraft and so forth, and knowing the vulnerability that they have, um, particularly my daughter who's eleven and just reaching that point where you know that that real wish to get in good with the friends and all of that sort of stuff—that real vulnerability that you can see—feeling um, very um, much that I need to go <laughs> and speak, speak to them both about yeah, about their online presence. You know, Mm. thank you all very much that's, you know, as a parent just
3: incredibly
0: useful mm. Anyone else? Can parents, you know where can parents go for that sort of information oh sorry, we'll move the microphone over is there somewhere that they can go? Yeah,
5: yeah. obviously the East Acting Commissioner um, yeah. they have they're not one stop shop for mm. parents they have an iPortal and there's so many resources there for parents, teachers students it's the number one resource.
3: Yeah, and I think they have some critical, um, uh, you know, fact sheets around. You know, the first things that parents should be doing is installing some sort of filtering device, um, making it your business to actually know who your children are friends with, you know, and making sure that the privacy settings are appropriate on all of those devices as well. Yeah, I think anything else, Rob?
5: privacy is
0: so important. Yeah, it's so important. Yeah, their privacy. Right, we're ready.
4: Well, I only, I'll only talk about my own personal experience, and there's a variety of decision making points where that occurs. Um, you know, if I was to take in the example of George there, who became an unwitting person, I'm not talking about his case specifically because I don't know what happened there, but, um, you know, the first point of call for me is to talk to the person who has been responsible for sharing this content. Um, as I said, where it's a, a person who's generated themselves and they've made a, a gross, you know, a judgment, um, I, I guess my approach to that, my personal approach, would be to about the education and um, uh, speaking to the person about that, the young person about that. Where it's been shared on later on, it, it really comes down to all the issues that we spoke about here. You know, how did they get that image in the first place? Uh, was it coerced? Was it something where they used uh, a position of power? What's the difference in the or the disparity in that relationship that they had with that person? Uh, was it a girlfriend-boyfriend relationship of the same age or was it a person who might have been intimidating or standing over and Rob spoke about the, the threats that some are sometimes made? You know, so these are, are things that are, are made on a case by, or decisions that are made on a case by case basis. And it comes down to the particular individual that I might be interviewing and and what it is that they've done and their, their level of culpability. And as I said, there is a range of options that are available. And um, you know, introducing somebody to the criminal justice system and charging them with a criminal offence, to me that's escalating uh, reasonably high. But it's appropriate if the circumstance is suited. If there's a person who has um, um, obviously aware that they've done the wrong thing, they know they've committed an offence, but they've never been um, subject to an investigation or have had occasion to be dealt with by the police before, then cautioning uh, might be appropriate in those circumstances. Um, And then we take into account, obviously, um, uh, the guidelines that are set down by the Director of Public Prosecutions as well. And um, and there is a number of tests in there about whether it's in the public interest. Mm-hmm. What I can say is, anyone who shares child exploitation material, irrespective of their age, it's a serious matter. Mm-hmm. I see it as serious, and I'll treat it as serious. But the outcome will be guided by the circumstances of that particular case.
9: Mm-hmm. Hi there. Oh, okay, sorry, we we'll get you to ho- help. Sure. Um, but <laughs> it's for the I think for the web.
0: Is that right? No, it's fine.
9: I will be on the regional youth support coordinator for the Department of Education Metropolitan Region. So, Brisbane. Um, I'm just wondering if you think that it's time that um, the curriculum in schools shifts to better reflect what's happening in our community. For example, should we replace German lessons
6: <laughs> with?
9: you know, social media awareness or the use of devices or how we can do that safely. Because I don't know about other people, I've never used my three years of German lessons, except for a couple of weeks in German, I don't very good anyway. But, um, you know, there's other subjects that are probably not that relevant to what's happening in our community at the moment. Is it time that we shifted our curriculum Mm. to better reflect what's happening for our young people? Just wonder what you thought.
5: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> look. Um, clearly at the moment there's been, uh, you know, these messages are built into the curriculum in all different subjects, from Year 2 right through to Year 12. Whether it has its own dedicated thing, I can't answer that. Um, that's state schooling yeah. Um, yeah. decision and beyond my capacity to answer that. But what's in the curriculum at the moment is built into all different subjects mm-hmm. throughout from Year 2 to Year 12
9: across all schools, because I It's get in the
5: Queensland State School System.
9: Okay, so how come we, you know, where's the problem? Because we're not, you know, if it's yeah. there and kids are getting it, supposedly, are we giving the wrong messages? Are they not getting the right content? Because we've still clearly got a massive problem and a growing problem.
5: Yeah, there was a bunch of Royal Commission recommendations recently um, from the Royal Commission Institute of Child Sex Abuse where one recommendation was that the E Safety Commission... Um, generates that standard messaging that goes to students or young people mm-hmm. so that is a uh, recommendations being addressed at the moment
6: okay. uh, I mean when we work with sex offenders in our jails one of the main things we do is we, we, we try and get them to have empathy for the victims because sure. a lot of them think you know, the victim wasn't particularly harmed that it got over it very quickly uh, and for those who yeah. have who can develop empathy it's, yeah. it's very successful so I imagine <laughs> the schooling perspective you're know, showing what the consequences can be. And certainly as a, you know, when I first started doing work with contact and non-contact offenders, I thought that the non-contact offenders were less serious than the contact offenders. But then sometimes when you see what's happened to people who've had these images distributed, even though they haven't been um, physically abused, they've just had the images distributed of, of non-penetrative sex, for example, uh, you, you become aware of actually how harmful this, this can be. Um, I think also, I mean, one, as a final aside to this, is, we've got a lot of other factors that are coming from social media. Uh, in psychology we say, you know, compare yourself up and you'll be depressed, compare yourself down and you'll be happy. You know, so if you compare yourself with doing much better than yourself, mm-hmm. then you'll be unhappy. If you compare yourself with people who are doing uh, much worse than yourself, then you'll be grateful for where you are. And, what social media is doing for a lot of children is it's allowing them to compare themselves with people who are doing much, much better than themselves. Mm. And that's having a consequence as well. Mm.
4: Mm. And that feeds into, um, you know, we can have all the messages out there which, you know, I, I think we can do more work in that space, but um, peer group pressure. You know, even those, you know, um, certain young people are aware that um, this might be inappropriate, they get that pressure mm. uh, from their peers and their peers are doing it. or the Kardashians are doing it, mm. so I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to emulate that. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's all about wanting to belong and wanting to fit in, yeah. and so in some cases. So you, know, you need to be aware of what is actually driving uh, an individual to want to share mm. content of themselves that might be inappropriate, because that will be a different response.
3: Sure. Mm. And that, that leads on to a lot of the content that actually addresses working with victims or anyone who who might see themselves as particularly vulnerable and that's about building resilience and that's been a concept that's been thankfully growing um, in interest uh, amongst people over many years and really resilience is one of those concepts that it's not a case of either you have it or you don't it's something that you can develop at any age in any circumstance and there's some great information on reliable websites for parents to be able to have some tools for how to build resilience in their children. And if they feel uh, more self-confident, then they're going to be less vulnerable to being um, preyed upon by, by other people. So, yeah.
7: Mm-hmm. Yes, Hi, I'm Vanessa Comino. I'm at the Metropolitan Regional Office. I'm a principal advisor, Education Services. Thank you very much for your information and your time. I just wanted to confirm that um, our schools I work with 52 secondary schools across the metropolitan region, and Hi Rob, Um, I've contacted your office a number of times and thank you for the advice. Um, I did want to confirm that um, our schools are consistently delivering the message to our students around staying safe and and their wellbeing is of paramount um, importance to us and to them. But my question is really about whether you think principals should be sending this message and it's difficult sometimes when you've got a tricky subject uh, across in, in assemblies or on a white forum that way and if so how should they tackle that problem because um i advise that and i'd like to be able to give the right advice around this
5: yeah well as you know every school makes their own decisions in regards to um, um, local school decisions in regards to getting our team out there each school decides whether they get us out there to speak to the students, um, whether they get Argos out there to speak to students, um, whatever program they decide, or We'll go to the list of approved providers on the Office of E-Safety, um, I mean that's purely up to the principal and school leaders to decide when and when's the right time, it, yeah, our team's pretty heavily booked. Yeah. I know,
7: um, I know, you so a lot of work in that area.
5: Yeah, so we lecture from Grade 4 right through to Grade 12, and um, I think we've reached about 450 different state schools, so that's... Um, yeah, we'll probably be into a lot of yours. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Um, so that's
7: great, we'll keep encouraging. Whether that. the principals
5: give that message like themselves or getting a team of experts or specialists in, uh, again, that's up to the local school decision. Mm. Thanks Rob. Is it okay?
0: Any last questions? We've got time for one more. All good. One.
1: one from the back. about their experience and certainly with the eSafety Commissioner that's one of the most um, used um, platforms they have is they have real case studies on there of young people who've described their example and what happened and how it made them feel and how they very quickly lost control of their image and that young person just reconfirmed that in their discussions um, on that interview saying that if you have young people talking about what really happened to them, it actually
5: is a really good thing for us to understand that this is something that's real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has that been your experience, Rob? Uh, look, yeah, I'd love to have more young people on our team. Seriously, <laughs> I've got three young girls in the team with me, and when we present to high school, secondary schools, they take me as the old person, <laughs> <laughs> them with a lot younger and playing with Snapchat a lot more frequently than me. Um, so we try and get that balance in regards to teaching secondary schools. And, you know, I have the vision of bringing in our students that have just reached, you know, first year of uni, second year of uni, into our team. I love that to be the case. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's definitely the right approach. Mm.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our evening. Thank you so much and thank you to this amazing panel. It's been a fascinating discussion. As with most events, we're interested to hear your feedback. Tomorrow you'll receive an email asking you to complete a short survey and that will help us continue to improve our public information events and help determine the speakers for future presentations. Details of the next seminars in our series will be on our website in a few weeks' time and a recording of tonight's seminar will be available on our website also. The address is sentencingcouncil.qld.gov.au. So that's sentencingcouncil.qld.gov.au. Qld.gov.au. I'd like to thank our guest speakers tonight for supporting the Queensland Sentencing Advisory Council and in particular to poor George for being prepared to come and talk to us uh, about an event which he probably really would just have behind him. Uh, I'd also like to thank the Secretariat for all your hard work and uh, in staging the event tonight and, and all the work in the lead up and uh, join me in thanking our fabulous so you've got to all have a lot to think about after all of that conversation.
3: <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> yeah.